Welcome to Peace Lab, the podcast focused on peacemaking, faith, and current events from a Mennonite perspective. I'm Jason Boone from the Peace and Justice Support Network. Great to be talking to you all, and it's great to be talking to my partner in podcasting, Hannah Heinzicker. Hannah, how's your week going so far? Ah, it's going pretty well. There's lots of news and things unfolding right now, to be sure. There's plenty to talk about if you're wanting to come at things from a peace building angle, that's for sure. Even since the last time we talked, things have escalated so much. It's on the terms of, of peace, not even peace, I guess, but the, the opposite on the military and the war spectrum. We, we, when I say we, the United States, we launched rockets into Syria. Uh, we dropped a big old bomb on Afghanistan that uh, people seem to be pretty happy about. Uh, and then there's all this tension around North Korea. Uh, and I don't know what you would call it, us... Uh, rationing up our military presence there and our rhetoric and so we went from and I guess we have to acknowledge there's always this sort of low level of conflict and violence and war that our nation's a part of that for the most part we filter out and we just it keeps happening so we don't respond to it but these things have uh, these very prominent events have happened pretty quickly and I, I don't know how how to respond to it how are you responding emotionally and just intellectually how are you processing these new events well this has just been it just feels like everything has happened so quickly this was a major kind of turnaround in foreign policy it seems like protocol from our current administration um and so i feel like it's been a little hard to process because it just happened so fast um and interestingly at church on sunday easter sunday we had our sharing time and um, an older member of my congregation stood up and just kind of shared about how he's experiencing feelings that he hasn't experienced since the Cold War time. Um, this sense that our country is behaving recklessly and potentially approaching kind of some sort of nuclear war or detente type of experience right now with a place like North Korea. Um, and so I've been reflecting on that a lot. What does that do to our collective psyches? Um, how do we talk about peace building in, in this kind of environment? How do we talk with our kids about safety and, and what we're expecting? Um, I've been thinking all those things. I don't know if I have any wisdom necessarily, but one question that has really been sitting with me a lot is, um, you know, what's the, how are peace builders imagining a different future? What are the good alternatives we're putting forward? You know, I think I've seen a lot of horror and shock and anger um, at the actions of last week, um, but not a lot of um, alternatives. And one of the things that's been interesting is that, you know, the missile strikes in Syria had sort of broad bipartisan support from a lot of people because there had been such horrendous acts there before. So in some ways this was seen as a way of trying to support the Syrian people. Um, as peace builders, do we have alternatives to that? You know, I don't necessarily believe that missile strikes are going to help this situation, but there is real tragic, um, it's a real tragic situation over there. And so what is our, what are those ways we're imagining something different? In that yeah, that, that, that is the million dollar question. And, and I don't believe anyone that says that they, they know exactly what the perfect answer should be. You know, I, I know feel powerless in, in many ways, though, you almost I almost feel like maybe that's a place we need to come to as, as a nation as well to sort of recognize that, you know what, we don't sort of control the chessboard anymore. And maybe there are going to be things that happen that, that are horrible and that are not part of Shalom, um, but we can't fix 
you know? And so, so what does that mean? And we go from this, from this superpower that, um, you know, going back to World War II, where it seems like, you know, when we put our might into things, we can correct and, and stop some of these tragic events that happen in the world. But that doesn't seem to be the case, you know, uh, do we acknowledge that? And then how do we sort of take on a different posture and say, you know what, maybe we're part of, uh, of a world that's in an international community that's got a lot of problems uh, and commits a lot of atrocities, many of which we, we do on our own, um, but we can't correct these things, you know? And so if you have that mindset, you know, then maybe policy changes. I, I don't know exactly what the policy changes to, but, but maybe having that mindset that we, we actually can't be saviors and, and can't fix everything. Yeah. Well, and certainly, I mean, it's important for us to learn the history of these conflicts too. You know, these conflicts do not come out of a vacuum and, and war and a long history of wars and colonialism have sort of played into these conflicts too. Um, so when we talk about addressing it, the roots go years and years and years back. So it's not like this just happened. Um, That's true. Yeah. Those, those roots are so deep. You know, it's it's interesting because the people, many people I know who voted for for Donald Trump, this was one of the reasons to do it was he talked about some some variation of an isolationist policy that would say, okay, well, we're not going to get involved everywhere, and that's not um, that doesn't address the root causes. It doesn't acknowledge sort of uh, you know, the part the United States has played in these things and whatnot. But at least you know, if you're in a hole, the first thing you should do is stop digging. You know, so that was some hope. And, and even folks I know who didn't support Donald Trump, that was sort of the uh, glass half full interpretation they would take. Well, you know, maybe if we don't, if we curb our, our military expeditions, maybe something good can come out of this. But now that's sort of all shot. And so I, I think there's a big recognition uh, that maybe the other part of this is, is uh, the powerlessness of, of our ability to sort of save the world. Um, but also just the, I hate to say, to be negative about it, but our, our ability to, to transform even our own nation and our own policies. You know, sure. people thought, okay, well, and this goes back, let's, let's be frank here, this goes back to uh, when we elected President Obama. We thought, you know, if we get the right person in the right position, then things change. And that certainly does not seem to be the case, either from the right or from the left. And so I don't know where that leaves us. Well, see, this is a fascinating conversation because I think it's a good reminder that as Anabaptists, you know, we say this a lot, but I think sometimes we still fall into the trap of thinking that one political party best represents actually Christian faith or Anabaptist faith. And it's a good reminder that no political party <laughs> um, really represents the kingdom of God. Um, and I think, you know, especially maybe some progressive people are going to have to wrestle with this because in some ways I think it's been easier to be a progressive pacifist or peace builder when you look at that political party and what they've said. But especially during this campaign season, there was a real shift. Um, if you watch the Democratic National Convention, you had generals up on stage kind of leading this American nationalist military might kind of chant. Um, so neither political party is exempt from um, the military industrial complex and represents our values wholesale i guess it's not where our allegiance is right that's the only the, the most cohesive we've been as, as a nation or at least politically you know over the past few years or past, since the past election anyway was when those missile missile strikes were launched in syria all of a sudden democrats and republicans came together and said yes this is great you know we're, we're finally 
we're finally acting like, like we should as a nation and Donald Trump's finally being president. And you're like, wow, this is what binds us. You know, it, it's only when we're, when we're engaged in these acts of war that we can feel some unity and some cohesion. That's, that's as disturbing as anything. Yes, absolutely. Well, and Jason, moving a little bit closer to home with the Mennonite news here, you just returned from the Scent Church Planting Conference, and we're going to hear some conversations from there, but how did you experience that event? I know you were excited going forward. We talked a little bit about that last time. Uh, well, I'll describe it in one word, fantastic, and some of that's for, uh, just from being down there at uh, Ark of Salvation Church in Fort Myers. Great facility, great people. We had fantastic worship, uh, and this might not sound important in the big scheme of things, but we ate the best conference food I've ever had in my life. I've been to many a conference and had many a, try, a dry chicken breast. This was not the case. That's right. Hey, that matters. It matters. <laughs> it, matters. it uh, puts a smile on your face. Uh, but the hospitality there was great, so, so that felt good. We did talk last week about uh, the importance of church and peacemaking and, and church planning and peacemaking. And let's not separate these two. You know, how are they working and folding in together? And, you know, we're looking for signs of hope in the midst of all this war and violence. And if you say, okay, well, where are the, the seeds of hope being planted? I think you would say it's in church planning. And, and where are the seeds of peace taking hold? A lot of different places, but especially through church. Um, so that was exciting. I think a, a, a bit of a, a reality check for us uh, as, as Mennonites and as Anabaptists is, okay, you know what? in terms of church planning, at least, we don't have huge infrastructure to do this. We don't have a lot of money to do it. We, we don't necessarily send people forth with a, a big bag of money and say, go plant a church. And so we're, we're restricted in some ways. But what really gave me hope was looking around the room at that conference. It's the most diverse group of people, the most diverse conference I've been to in a good long while. And you had people from different backgrounds and ages and parts of the country and and whatnot, all united by a, you know, an Anabaptist theology and an urge to follow Jesus seriously. But that diversity and then that, that creativity that comes from the people there, that's what really makes me say, you know what, it's easy and maybe it makes sense to be pessimistic about the church in some ways. Um, but the, the, again, the creativity and the diversity of people there, that gathering, made me say, oh, no, you know what, there is a bright future. You know, and, and maybe it doesn't look like it. And again, maybe we have we have some restrictions. Um, but if that seed is there and you have people who are dedicated and passionate and just sort of not willing to be stopped, um, that's a good thing. That's that's one of the one of the underlying principles of church planning that starts to come up a lot when you talk to people who've done that. It's difficult work, but they're not going to stop because they, they feel called. And so. We have a, a lot of, of good things, and we have a lot of talented people in, in our larger community, I think, that can lead the way and lead us into some new, great church expressions. Um, that was another thing. And so the, the interview that we'll hear here uh, later in the podcast, actually, it was uh, conducted by Will LeBeast uh, with Mennonite Mission Network. Will was at Scent. I was at Scent. The way it worked out, uh, Will was able to do this interview because we had we have three great people talking with three different stories, and Will is just very capable of doing those interviews and weaving it together. But you you hear different things. It's not necessarily all just church planning from you know from zero to sixty in in a year. 
you know, we had folks talking about what does it mean to revive a church that might be dying, you know, or, or what does it mean to uh, to expand a church uh, using satellite campuses. So again, it's just this big stew of, of creativity and just you know really trying to say how do I how do we live this out in in new exciting ways. That's the exciting part for me. Yeah. Well, good. I'm looking forward to the conversation. I think people will really enjoy it. Will did a great job. Um, should we remind people, like shameless self-promotion here, should we remind people where they can find our podcast? Absolutely. Uh, and you, know, we can, you can find it in a lot of different places. We want to make it very easy for you. So, of course, the Mennonite Magazine website, which is themennonite.org. Uh, you'll certainly find it there. You'll find it on the Peace and Justice Support Network website, pjsn.org. Sign up for T-Mail. If you haven't done that anyway, you need to do that. Keeps you in the loop for all, all the good Mennonite news, but every episode is going to come out through T-Mail. Um, but that's just the top part. Where, where else can you find it? You can also find us on Stitcher and iTunes, where you can actually subscribe and follow our podcast, and you can rate our podcast, which really helps other people find us as well. And you can also, this is old school, not even technology-based, if you like this podcast, just tell your friends. You can share it on social media or you can just say, hey, check this out. We'd really appreciate you giving us a recommendation and pointing other people to the podcast. Hey, this is Will Levise with Mennonite Mission Network. Scent brings together Anabaptist church planters who are empowered and encouraged by listening to each other's stories and getting resources to help them to go out and continue to do the great work that they are doing to spread the gospel. Matthew Shedden, Merlin Gwitty, uh, Jaime Cazares, all church planters in their various capacities. Welcome to the podcast. Tell me first, how did you all know that you were called in the first place to be church planters? Matthew, what was, what was your story? How did you know? I think it was, I worked for a church plant in Durango, Colorado before I, I ended up in my location. That was before seminary. And when I left, I said that I'm never going to be a church planter. And God has a habit of calling us into places, uh, although I'm in a little bit non-traditional church plant. Um, God has a habit of calling us into places where we said we would never go. Uh, so that's, I think, how my church is Defiance Church in Glenwood Springs, Colorado. And what happened there was there was a congregation that had dwindled down to about 10 to 15 people. And they were willing to sort of say, let's restart everything. And so I came into a culture that already existed to some degree, but also said, we want you to come in from the outside. We want you to bring your ideas. Uh, we want you to think of this as a church plant. And so we'll be here. Um, and if you do something that makes us leave, that's okay as well. Um, but they, uh, they decided that they would call in somebody to sort of reinvigorate that whole thing. And so that's where I'm at in Glenwood Springs, Colorado. And Merlin, you are in uh, West Palm Beach. I am from West Palm Beach, and the name of our ministry is Anabaptist Family Group. Um, my experience as a um, church plant, it really wasn't something that I, I saw myself doing. I was pretty much kind of like thrown in the, in, the, in the sea and had to swim. Um, it's, it's been a, a major transition. Um, also has been a blessing to be able to go into the community, which is um, what we do, and work with women who have been battered, women that are abused, um, children that are going through so many different situations. And, you know, personally, um, going, I was going into these communities and talking to these women uh, as a domestic violence survivor myself, you know, just listening to them, I was 
I started beginning. I started the beginning of my healing process as well. Um, just just being able to go out there and and work with them on a weekly weekly basis, being able to bring them resources and letting them know that it's okay and that you can get through it. We meet um, every other week, and so when we go into the community, we do that once a month, and that's um, something that you know we've been doing now for about two years. And so we bring um, school supplies, you know, at the beginning of the year um, in January to the students. Um, and so uh, we bring different resources to the families, especially to the women. Something that we started doing in the beginning was um, we were we would try to bring them out to the church. However, then we realized that that was causing them a lot of issues. And so instead of going out, we started just going into the community and, and, and working with them there. Jaime, your church, what is the name of it and where is it at? Uh, Iglesia Menonita Casa Betania, that's in Newton, Kansas. And uh, I grew up in a, ch a church plant in Omaha, Nebraska. And after this, church planter uh, retired and they were looking for uh, candidates. And at that time, I went to, I was taking some uh, theology classes at uh, Grace University in Omaha. And I did not know I was going to be a pastor or not, no interest. I just did not know why I was taking theology classes. And then I was taking Anabaptist Bible Institute as well. So uh, when this pastor had retired, we got candidates coming to the church, and nobody seemed to to stay. And they looked at me and like, mm, not me. You know, I was um, very new to that sense of new territory in that planting church. After five years of plan, uh, pastoring that MB Church, Mennonite Brethren, uh, I got called um, in 2008 to plant the church in Newton, where I'm, I'm at now. What was that feeling like to be called and feel like it's not you? Oh, it was scary. What was that moment like for you, Merlin, when you knew that you were being called by God to be involved in church planting? It was a bittersweet moment, only because... I didn't think I, I didn't think I it was I was I was fit for it. Um, for me, uh, working behind the curtains, it's it's okay. You know, I can do whatever, and I and I'm passionate about what I do. But um, just being able to, having to stand in front of a crowd and and you know just working and being that that voice, it, it, it was a bittersweet moment. For you, Matthew, it seems like there's a theme of feeling like this is really not. For me, yeah, um, I think that it became evident that I was struggling in existing church structures. That for somebody with a call to pastor in our existing churches within our denomination, there are uh, cultures and cares and things that need maintenance. You you sort of walk into and at least part half, maybe three quarters of your job description is shepherding the status quo. And as somebody who wanted to sort of push outside the status quo of a, of a traditional congregation, uh, that it became evident that, that to do that, you really plan a church. You go to a place sort of beyond where, where things are normal and okay and try something new. Talk about that. Talk about your story and how that has played out. Uh, the, I think, um, coming through every sort of tradition and denomination in my life so far, uh, I haven't been Catholic. 
like Jaime. So, um, but I have been a lot of various Protestant mutt things throughout the years. I grew up Presbyterian. Uh, I worked for a Baptist church plant. I was married in an Episcopal church. Uh, I helped emerging churches for a while um, and went to an interdenominational seminary in Seattle and then uh, ended up um, in the Mennonite church sort of through that. So, I've hopped around quite a bit. Uh, I've been paid by three different churches, so three different denominations so far, which is nice. Um, but I think there's that longing to find a place where we fit, uh, longing to find a place where it seems like we can belong. Um, and I think as a church planner, um, there's churches in every town uh, throughout America. Um, it's, it's finding a place to make that space for other people. Um, we're not 100% fit for anybody. No church is, which is maybe why my journey is so so messy. I was looking for that. But to make a space where it's okay to, to have questions, to, to, to ponder sort of the darkness of humanity as that's necessary, and to have hope um, that comes through the gospel. I mean, for you, your personal testimony and how that impacts your ministry. Well, uh, I, I grew up Catholic, and when I was called... No, I didn't have any background of my ancestors or nobody to be in that religious field. So that was just, uh, I felt very out, out of place because I'm like, no, this is not for me. I mean, this is for someone that knows church, knows scripture, and I did not have that background. But I did have the experience to, to, to see a church plant, uh, see how they suffer. It's, it's painful. So, what are some of the things that you've seen? One of the things that I saw in the very beginning of the church plan that nobody would show up. And I was excited about it. I'm like, yeah, no church today. And then now when I came to Newton, I came to live that very moment. I, I look at the door and I'm like, oh, I remember those years when I said that. So it's, it's very painful. Is that similar for you, Matthew, and seeing you know, painful things. What what have you seen? Well, the size thing makes me laugh because I used to preach uh, my last church to, as the associate pastor, to around 150 to 200 people. And you would not believe how excited I am when there's 30 there on Sunday morning now. Um, 30 feels really great. Um, but I think um, one of the things that you see sort of from my side on the work and the, the personal story you have is amazing and powerful. Uh, I was referencing Merlin there. Um, but for me, I see a lot of people who are just burned out and angry at church um, and finding a way to sort of do some healing there through through gospel work. And, and the way that my own story kind of tracks with that as well, I think, is one of the things is you just see people who have rejected the church, maybe for lots of good reasons, um, but still need Jesus's love and healing in their life and a place in a community of faith. Merlin, you mentioned that you were the victim of domestic violence, and that's a lot of the women that you work with. Is that one of the characteristics that you find with church planters that a lot of times it's something really personal to them that makes them want to be, to do this work and to go out? Um, I think that it is um, because they can identify. It's not just a, 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 a biblical scripture or just sharing. It's something lived. You know, I understand. I've, I've been in their shoes. I, I know what it feels like. I know what it is to be afraid not to know if you're going to make it out or not, you know. So um, I guess I, I, I can empathize and know exactly the fear that they're going through because I, I've been there. But just being able to reassure them that, you know, you can get out of it, you know, and that um, after 
a while or after, you know, a, a certain time, it can become a testimony rather than, you know, just, just a, a painful uh, memory. Were you raised an Anabaptist? No, I was actually raised Catholic. I moved to Florida uh, with hopes of, of saving my family. And so um, I went to, to live with a friend who uh, was serving the Lord. And so that's how I, I got introduced. And that's how I um, decided to just surrender my life to Jesus. And so um, I went through, and, and, and I think for me, it's been a, a life-changing experience. I can actually say that now um, my whole family, my home, my parents, my siblings, nieces, my, my brothers-in-laws, they're all serving the Lord now. You know, but somebody had to pay the price. So I, I thank the Lord for the opportunity. How does uh, Anabaptism, theology, and, and values, how does that play out in your, your ministry? It's so different because, first of all, I'm, I, I, I was, like I said, born a Catholic, and then I'm a New Yorker. So I, you know, and then, you know, as an Anabaptist, we're like peacemakers and, you know, we're more. <laughs> That's not very New York-ish. No, it's totally the contrary. And so for me, it was it was a challenge. It was very, very challenging at the beginning. Um, I used to battle a lot with the Lord. And then I realized that it was with him. And then I, I decided to just take a step back because I understood I would never win. <laughs> so it's 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 amazing. It's it's great to be able to to transmit the peace. And I can also say that um, my daughter, my oldest daughter, um, when we were in New York, I always used to tell her if somebody hits you, like punch them back, you know. And so when we moved to Florida, I had to change that. And I'm like, no, we we don't do that. And then she's like, oh, I can't stand you. Like it, it became kind of like a battle at home of something that I had constructed because I, I really didn't know. But I've, I, it's, it's been an amazing learning process. I mean, for you, how does uh, Anabaptist uh, values play out in the context of your church? In my background, I was raised that Jesus was mentioned, but it was, was like we say, Anabaptist. Uh, Jesus is the center of our faith. And I did hear Jesus, but it was more centered on in someone else's uh, account. Jesus is the only one who intercedes, no one else. And but I would still mention Jesus in a way, but Jesus was not the center of my faith before. For you, Matthew, peace and justice, another Anabaptist value. Yeah, I think our church is having to relearn what it means to be an Anabaptist faith in an area that is uh, naturally beautiful. Clinwood Springs, Colorado, was picked as uh, Outside Magazine, one of its top five towns two years ago. So it's a beautiful place. Um, and when the Mennonites originally came to Glenwood Springs, the city of Glenwood had contacted the Mennonite Board of Missions to start a hospital there in 1955. And they administered the hospital all the way until the 1970s. Um, so they had this VS house and this this group of people, sort of this highway of people coming out and caring and and being a part of the hospital. But once that ended, the church sort of gradually declined over time. And so now for us, what does it mean to sort of embody living peaceably in the world? And so we have a high level of Hispanic immigration where, where we are in the valley, and we have um, – uh, Hispanic SDA church that rents our building, Seventh-day Adventist, and a Hispanic apostolic church that rents our building. We have uh, a, pr a program that meets and has families sort of 
learn. I never thought of this, but if you dropped me off in like Italy and said, go grocery shopping and survive, I would spend too much money trying to find American food. But that's the life of immigrants here. And so there's this cooking class in our building um, where they come and they walk through grocery stores and what to buy and what not to buy and how to make your money last better at the grocery stores. So those are just some of the ways our building is doing that. But for my congregation and for me in our lives, it's that call to live peaceably in the world that we're continually sort of coming back to. Um, and as the growth we've had isn't in the Anabaptist tradition, um, it's also bringing people back to that similar to what Merlin shared about, even with your kids, teaching that, like, this is not the way we, we police each other. This is not the way we treat each other. Um, so it's really a long and slow, patient journey of, of that. But I, I like what Hamish said about bringing Jesus back to the center of our faith. I think that's one of the strong points. Sounds like your church has dealt with remaining relevant as the community around yeah. it has changed. What, what has that been like? Yeah, well, I think that's the one of the biggest problems is that the church used to, like many Mennonite churches, was content to be the Mennonite church in town. Um, and Methodists were the same. And so if you were Methodist, you went there. If you were Mennonite, you went to our church. If you were Presbyterian. And that's not the reality of the average American today. They don't think I'm a Presbyterian forever. I moved to, but they look around at different churches. The other thing for us is that Mennonites stopped moving to Glenwood Springs around the time we stopped administering the hospital, so there wasn't that anymore, which was exciting for me because that means we get to actually become evangelical and share the gospel and the good news and invite people into this community to learn that. Um, and so that's sort of the biggest uh, challenge that we have, but also one of the biggest gifts we have is that we don't need to be the Mennonite church in Glenwood Springs anymore. We get to be an outpost of the kingdom that God is building in Glenwood Springs. Um, and we do that in an Anabaptist-flavored way, but, but our goal isn't just to be able to take in Mennonites and sort of shelter them through, through the faith there, but to be a robust sort of sign of the kingdom. Challenges, Merlin. What kind of challenges have you faced or continue to face in your ministry? I think one of the biggest challenges, um, I would say, is being able to provide the need um, I understand that even though I go or we go to the community and we serve or we try to coach or speak or listen to these women who are being com continuously abused and battered, but even if I wanted to save or to, to solve, like it's but so many resources mm -hmm. that we have because they depend on their husbands. You know, they depend on them to pay their rent, to purchase food, to take care of the children. And so it's 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 really hard. And so, you know, just being able to to coach them in a way where um they are they'll be able to to still survive and letting them know that Jesus is there and that he can help them, but to try to find different strategies on working through the process is, is, is challenging. It really is. How about you, Jaime? I pastor a church where 98% are undocumented. And that has uh, become a anxiety. And, but one of the things that has a relief in that anxiety and that challenges is that one of the sister churches in town, Shalom Mennonite Church, and the others uh, have shown their presence and has offered themselves to give rights to people, to groceries, even to church, or even to work, or children to, to school. So that's the main challenge right now. You know, how do you minister to that? Because that's, like you said, it's a high level of fear. Well, it's kind of of hard to be in their shoes because I might see it in my perspective, in my 
might not be aware of their experience. So I just need to be present. That's one of the things in, in, in church planting, present, being present there, being there when they, they suffer, when they uh, celebrate is just the key. Just being there relieves the, the anxiety. Validating how they feel yes. and, and what it is that they're right. going through. I wanted to get you guys to reminisce a little. Your first sermon uh, in, in planting your churches and receiving your call. Matthew, what, what was your first sermon like? Yeah, well, I, I was lucky enough to be at a previous church, and I had just moved across the country with my, uh, she was less than one at that time, and my wife. And so I actually recycled a sermon from my previous church and gave there. Uh, it was on uh, just sort of the Bible as a whole to set up my ministry. Uh, it did not go well. Um, the technology that I was used to at the last church also didn't work. Um, it was a a rough Sunday. Um, but but uh, we set roots and I was able to actually then focus going ahead. So um, I pulled the parachute that Sunday and went with something easy. Were you ready to pull the plug too? <laughs> uh, you know that I was pretty aware that this was go- not going to go well. And luckily or unluckily I, in some ways that this church already existed and I could almost gather that they had heard worse sermons um, than that one, which isn't that reassuring if you're in the bottom 10% anyways, but um, that they were going to come back at least. They would give me one more Sunday, the people who were there, hopefully. So you weren't totally discouraged. Yeah. How about you, Merlin? What was your first sermon? Oh, wow. I, I think it was that building usually was, it was cold but that day, I felt like I was like it was a furnace. It was so hot, and, and I was just sweating. And I, I remember um, I was talking about finding your identity in, in in Christ, and I was using I was using a, a a book as a as a reference, a book that I that I had read as as a child, and it said, "Are you my mom?" It's a kitty book, and I was kind of like relating it to my message. I forgot the book. Um, the technology wasn't working as well. And um, I was so nervous, but um, throughout the midst of the sermon, uh, praise God for the Holy Spirit who just like helped me. I just, I, I remember like praying, just help me, help me get through this. All I wanted to do was to get to the end. And so it wasn't, it, it, after a while, it wasn't so bad, you know, and then I think it, it took me about 15 minutes. And then people are like, is she done? And I'm like, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> so it was, it was like a microwave kind of a, kind of yeah. a message. And you, I mean, what do you remember? I remember uh, being in the context of Hispanic when we come from another country, especially from Mexico, South America, or Central America, we come with the mind of getting, not giving. And uh, Matthew 6, 33, seek the kingdom first, the kingdom God first, that's not in our context. Our mind is set on the on material. Get that straightened out. And if there's time, if there's interest, I might go to church. But so that was challenging, I remember. That was not a very good way to begin church, but it, it was challenging. I mean, I like that challenging, intentional practice uh, faith. Coming to the SIN conference, how has this helped you in any way, enlightened you? Okay, well, SENT, um, this is my second time attending SENT. I, I like coming to Scent because I can actually relate to the to the speakers, just listening to them on who to turn to when you're going through a difficult time or um, what to do when you don't know, uh, when you're going, encountering a, a difficult moment. And it's, you know, just listening to the different testimonies and the different stories of all the other um, church planters. 
um, I take those those testimonies back and, and know that I'm not the only one that, that goes through that, you know, and that everyone else is going through. So I think uh, sent to me is, is, a, is a blessing. This is the, my first time uh, uh, sent uh, this event. I find it very exciting and, and challenging at the same time because I see other people doing church the way, the way I, I do different. And they do different. It's a compliment just to bring new thoughts, new ideas, new tools to my ministry. Uh, since been exciting. It's been good to hear from other church planners. It's been great to be in a room um, with people from all over the country doing similar things. And it was really great to be here with Jaime and Merlin to hear some of their story. It's none of us uh, grew up in the Anabaptist tradition. And here the three of us are trying to bring new life to this tradition as well. Thanks to all three of you for taking part in the podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. God bless.